The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back. This is Good Morning New York. It's Tuesday, November 17th, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. It is my pleasure once again to be with you today. We are live, coming to you live from Blastoff Studios. In New York City, we have a great show today. Uh, Presidential candidates may be counting voters in Iowa and New Hampshire, but they're courting donors in New York City as well. And a sizable number of New York real estate players have already ponied up for their favorite 2016 White House favorites. With a little more than four months to go before the first ballots are cast, industry leaders from the Big Apple have forked over nearly $1.5 million for presidential candidates and their political action committees, according to a new review of Federal Election Commission filings done by the Real Deal here in New York. As the campaigns run on, the biggest question for New York real estate developers and landlords is who will be the right person for the job to keep this industry robust and moving. We are going to discuss this and more with two of my uh, special guests today. But before that, I want to read to you something I posted last night on Facebook and social media because I think it will be germane and important to today's topic of conversation. I posted, as I traveled around my city today, I was reminded about the attacks in Paris on Friday and the carnage that reminds all of us of September 11, 2001. I live in my city. I love my city. I respect and appreciate my city. I was part of that terrible day that we call 9-11. I ran for my life and arrived home full of ash from head to toe. I almost didn't make the run. I keep that to myself. I have to wonder how the people of that great city, Paris, are dealing with all this. Today, as I travel through my city, I saw in many places the elite squad of the NYPD out in force with guns and machine guns. The Time Warner Center, Times Square, Rock Center, etc. reminded me of a war zone, something we haven't seen since the days that followed 9-11, I don't like this visual in my city, and I'm uncomfortable with all of it. We know ISIS will get to the U.S. Washington, D.C., and New York City are major targets. They claim D.C., but I think that's a distraction for New York City. Be vigilant and pay attention. Pay attention. Don't let these bastards win. I said 14 years ago, and I will say again tonight, that these terrorists will never make me leave my city. I'm here, will stay here, and will go down if that is my story. But I will not leave the city I am in love with. Look over your shoulder and stay safe. We're going to be talking about all of that and more. As I said last night, we must stay in control. All right. So my two guests today are Jason Meister and Stephen Meister. uh, Jason is a senior director in the investment sales group at Ackman Ziff, an 80-plus-year-old privately held real estate capital market boutique. His broad experience includes successful transactions across all property types, multifamily, retail, industrial, land, and office with particular expertise in development and redevelopment sales. Uh, During his eight-year career, Jason has been involved in the disposition of several high-profile and complex property sales, including commercial buildings sold 
for adaptive reuse as residential, 99-year ground leases, as well as a number of bankruptcy 363 sales. Prior to commercial investment sales in Manhattan, Jason was a successful real estate uh, investor and developer on Nantucket in Massachusetts, and as such, brings a practical approach to all real estate transactions. Jason frequently appears on national television and radio broadcasts, including various interviews on Fox Business Network, Wall Street Journal Live, HuffPost Live, and Bloomberg. Stephen Meister is the toughest and most experienced litigator in the country. He has represented the likes of Donald Trump, Harry Macklow, and Joseph Chetrit, among many others. During his 30 years of experience, Stephen has acted as lead trial attorney on a number of hard-fought, high-stakes federal and state court actions. He is well, also well-known for his expertise in complex lender liability cases, real estate and mezzanine foreclosures, affordable housing uh, cases, Mandamus proceedings against state and uh, municipal agencies, rent stabilization laws, contract disputes, business tort actions, legal malpractice, and brokerage commission claims. Stephen, in his own right, is a successful real estate investor and developer, businessman, and accomplished multi-engine instrument rated pilot. He frequently writes columns for the New York Post and the Washington Examiner, and he also appears on television. So good morning, gentlemen, and welcome to Good Morning New York. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Good morning, Vince. Stephen, let me start with you. So um, President Obama declared last Friday morning in a television interview that ISIS has been contained, stating, and I quote, they have not gained ground in Iraq and in Syria. But in the last couple of weeks, ISIS blew up a Russian airliner, killing 224 innocents, carried out bombings in Beirut. And just a few hours after the president made his statements, ISIS launched unprecedented coordinated attacks in Paris, killing over 129 uh, innocent people and injuring hundreds and hundreds more. How do these tragic front page events affect the U.S. generally and the U.S. real estate markets and obviously the presiden- presidential election uh, in particular that we are smack in the middle of? Uh, well, Vince, you know, I was listening to you read the post you put on Facebook last night and you mentioned uh, all the uh, uh, the policemen and uh, armed uh, security forces and uh, members of the armed forces who you see in Grand Central and all around New York. And so that sort of presence is, is both frightening and uh, hopefully uh, uh, securing, but it is a fact of life now. As you said, ISIS is contrary to what the president said, really on the offensive and gaining ground. And, and of course, this does impact uh, the United States in, in very meaningful ways. It impacts the real estate markets. There's no question uh, that people uh, buy homes where they feel safe and won't buy homes where they don't feel safe. And so these factors definitely uh, have a long-term impact on pricing and where people live. Uh, that's that's one factor. It affects businesses, obviously. Um, uh, if we start to have people fearful of going into movie theaters and concerts and other public venues, that will affect business and, and malls, et cetera. And finally, uh, I see it uh, definitely playing a role and having an impact, Vince, in the presidential election. It's no... Uh, surprise to any American that's uh, listened to any news in the last several months uh, that uh, Donald Trump uh, has come down very strongly on immigration. Uh, he has come down very strongly on ISIS. 
It remains to be seen, of course, uh, whether he'll win the uh, GOP nomination and if he does the general election. But uh, I think these events um, uh, order well for his, um, his candidacy. Stephen, on the heels of what you just said, does immigration policy have any correlation to ter- uh, terrorist attacks at home and abroad? We haven't had a large-scale terrorist attack on the U.S. soil since 9-11, so many would argue that we have been successful in protecting against terror. Do you think New York City is susceptible to another large-scale attack, or have we put the proper security in place to thwart these these attacks or these future Listen, attacks? I'm sorry, Vince, yes. I, I think uh, – I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I think we have – done a good job in terms of intel, and uh, we've had some close calls, I think, um, um, and, and we've, we've been working very aggressively to uh, listen to the chatter uh, and, and, and discover these plots in advance. But it's touch and go. It's very difficult work, uh, and of course, you have to have a, a 1,000 batting average. What concerns me now uh, is, frankly, the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, uh, uh, President Obama has uh, strongly uh, come down in favor of the so-called humanitarian uh, uh, aspect uh, and uh, taking in these refugees. Um, I think he's uh, pledged to take in 10,000 immediately, but uh, wants to bring it to 100,000 uh, by 2017, um, he claims that there is going to be screening uh, to prevent um, the admission of uh, of ISIS members uh, among the Syrian refugees. Um, the problem there is, that I, I worry about um, is that uh, how can this screening be perfectly effective? It's right. hard to imagine it will be perfectly effective. And, and therefore, when you get into these large numbers, 100,000 immigrants, if you have, you know, one-tenth of one percent are, uh, are ISIS radicals, then, uh, you know, it doesn't take many, right, Vince? There were look, there look, seven <laughs> involved in the Paris attacks. That's right, Stephen. It's, it's Jason. It took 19 hijackers. Uh, in the U.S. to bring America down to its knees, uh, going hitting the Pentagon, hitting the taking the World Trade Center down, and, a, and an airliner down. So only 19, and so you talk about 100,000 Syrian refugees. Just a, just a handful, just a handful can do tremendous damage. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Stephen. I, I'm not quite sure I understand what the what the president's thinking is on this particular issue. But, you know, in your opinion, what why is he why is he calling on the humanitarian effort or, or initiative to make this right? I, I don't think this is right. I, 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 well, here's my answer, Vince. I, I think at at bottom, uh, Barack Obama is an ideologue, and um, he uh, he is a devout multiculturalist, and he is simply not willing to surrender those ideolog- ideological views, no matter what the practical realities are. Uh, for, for him, I mean, I, I think it's ironic. There are some conservatives who have claimed that he has surrendered to ISIS uh, by by announcing. 
uh, first of all, that he's not going to put boots on the ground in, in Syria. Why you would ever even say that, even if it were your decision, uh, is is kind of mind-boggling. Uh, but uh, uh, w- what I see is a man who, um, who who might be willing to surrender a a particular war or battle, but not an ideological position. And so when he says, as he did, that um, not admitting the Syrian refugees would be, would be uh, I can't remember his exact words, but compromising or sacrificing core values of Americans, I think to him that is more important uh, than, than any other considerations. And, and that's what's driving his, his decision-making here. Uh, I think that's out of step with the vast majority of Americans. Well, look, who, there's half of the country, uh, Stephen, half of the country, you have states coming out saying already that they're not, they're going to push back on that, allowing those refugees into their states. Um, but they can't. Right, Jason, 23 governors, uh, there was a piece in the USA Today, I think yesterday, that 23 governors are pushing back to varying degrees. One of the things I question as a lawyer is, and and I haven't had the chance to think this all through, I don't know that the governors really have the ability. They can only make it difficult, right? They can only make it difficult. Once the federal government admits a refugee, I I, I don't know how you stop that person from traveling around inside the United States. Um, To me, either you admit him or her or you don't. Uh, there were right. very few hers and mostly hymns, but uh, there you go. All right, guys, we have to take a break. We have much more to talk about on this very fascinating topic. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back, and I'm talking to Stephen and Jason Meister, and our topic today is politics and how it affects the real estate industry and what we are to expect or what we're looking at as far as the 2016 presidential election. Jason, you wanted to ask sure. something. So now that we're transitioning into uh, 
a conversation about the election on the heels of Donald Trump's speech announcing he would run. Many pundits predicted his comments about Mexicans would be his undoing. Trump refused to back down even after being called a racist. And now it seems his GOP frontrunner status was made by his tough line on immigration and what he calls building the Trump wall. Stephen, how important do you think the immigration issue is for America in general and for the presidential election in particular? Uh, Jason, great question. I I think it's a a very important question, uh, arguably uh, the most important question, and it, it does tie in, and a lot of people are obviously concerned about the debt, as they should be, but they are interrelated. Um, the, uh, the, the immigration issue um, um, it, it has many facets, uh, but, but what is basically happening um, uh, and what is concerning, I think, your average workaday American and what has contributed so heavily to uh, Trump's uh, success in his candidacy so far is that we, we went from running kind of a welfare state in the terms of taking care of our own poor and our own sick to a welfare state that will take care of the world's poor and the world's sick, right? We, we virtually advertise uh, that if you come here even as an illegal, if you get in illegally um, and uh, you get here and, and you're a pregnant woman, you have a baby, you're going to have uh, you're going to have health care. You're going to have uh, subsidized uh, housing. You're going to have food stamps. You're going to have welfare. You can even, as, a, as, an, as an immigrant and as an illegal immigrant, have, have tax refunds, uh, uh, essentially uh, tax fare, as they, as they put it. And so what's happening is that uh, we have porous borders, and they're pouring in, and uh, and they're straining our system. Uh, they're an enormous burden on the middle class. Uh, you have uh, wealthy uh, 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 businessmen uh, who are um, uh, whose, whose nannies and uh, maids are effectively subsidized by the middle class. And of course, it could change the uh, voting, and has changed. Uh, the voting demographics uh, as as they become citizens or are amnestied, um, they vote overwhelmingly democratic uh, and um, and then on top of that, you have the whole security issue we were discussing before the break uh, about uh, about you know for example, ISIS uh, members immigrating it. So I think it's a very important issue, and uh, it was very interesting to me that after Trump made his announcement and did come down uh, strong on the immigration issue, so many pundits immediately predicted it was over for the guy. He was politically incorrect. He had uh, made statements they didn't like about Mexico and Mexicans, and yet it galvanized his base, so it it shows how out of step so many of the pundits are with with. Americans and workaday, what I call workaday Americans. But, but Stephen, uh, I want to press you a little bit on this. How is it possible? I hear all the issues you're raising, and they're very significant issues. How is it even possible to deport 
the 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 size of immigrate of immigrants 11 million I 11 million H- how is it even possible is it even possible or is it just political position no, look i think it is possible and the answer is you're going to have to clamp down on employers okay and this is something by the way republicans have been unwilling to commit to because many of of their donors are businesses that are employing illegals at, at reduced rates. So you have E-Verify, and you, you're going to have to come down on employers, okay, um, uh, who, are, who are paying illegals, and, uh, and you're going to have to make alterations to welfare programs uh, not to give welfare to illegals, uh, and various structural changes like that will end up uh, um, um, in, 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 in bringing them to the other side of the border, and you know, meaning outside the country. And by the way, they can apply then to come back in. It's just completely unfair that there are people who are making legitimate applications for visas and other applications with our immigration authorities to come into America. Right. Those, people, those people are prejudiced by illegal immigrants, as are, as are blue-collar workers in America. So I, I think it can be accomplished. It's not a question of, you know, of hiring a massive army of, of, of immigration police and rounding up people. It's, we, we live in a modern, you know, Internet connected society and these things can be accomplished just like tax collection can be accomplished. Okay. Okay. Thank you. We're going to change, uh, change gears a little bit in 2008. And again, in 2012, the voters elected president Barack Obama, who massively increased government and government spending and who has refused to ever mention the word Muslim or Islamic terrorist. Now the GOP frontrunner, Donald Trump in his own words, is calling for the building of a wall, the bombing the shit out of ISIS, and protecting Americans' right to bear arms. You have leading Democratic contenders, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, who, like Barack Obama, refuse to bring up these, these, lexi- these words um, and call what it is. The two parties seem that they have been more fractured and farther apart than ever. Why is that, and what, and what does it suggest for the future of our country? You know, there's a, a book that comes to mind with this question, Jason. It's, it's also a great question. Uh, uh, Pierreson's book, uh, recently out called Shattered Consensus, um, who points out that, um, uh, exactly what that question asks, the enormous divergence. I mean, if you think back, uh, for example, not to the distant past, to Clinton, uh, uh running against, uh, uh, Bush, uh, um, yes, there were differences. But nothing like we have now. Nothing like we have now. I mean, you had differences on levels of welfare and uh, uh, just sort of the kind of normal differences between Republican and Democratic policies. But now there's light years between their positions. I mean, if you think about Trump and Sanders or Trump and Hillary Clinton, um, these are there are just these yawning gulfs. And it's, it's hard to imagine a country functioning with such a dichotomy. Um, some political scientists, like 
Peterson uh, uh, suggest or, or argue that this suggests a change, a forthcoming change in the political order. We've had essentially a Keynesian state, uh, the, the uh, government managed and, and uh, stimulated economies that uh, John Maynard Keynes, the famous British economist from the 1920s and 30s, um, uh, that took hold with FDR and the New Deal uh, uh, in, in force. And, and, and recently we've added sort of multiculturalism and anti-American exceptionalism components to that. And I, I think the question really is, are we at the beginning of a new, a new direction and a new order? Hard to say. History will tell us. Well, I, I, I think you're, you're uh, right on that. But so following along that, Trump touts his billionaire status while the Democrats continue to talk about the growing income uh, equality gap. If he does get the GOP nomination, it's doubtless uh, that Hillary will attack him as an uh, uber one percenter out of touch with the working uh, uh, Americans. How do you think that will play out? I mean, as you said, it looks as though it's going to be a, a different change in, in, in administration. How would that play out? You know, what's interesting, uh, Vince, is that if you think about it, uh, um, who are Donald Trump's supporters? They're, they're not the uber-wealthy, I don't think. Um, he, he really, he, he's a very interesting guy in the sense that, yes, he's a billionaire. He's certainly in whatever the top fraction of 1%. Um, but his shunning of political correctness and his saying... What so many Americans want to say, say at the dinner table every night, Vince, but are afraid to say in public because of political correctness, has endeared him uh, to those kind of workaday Americans. So I'm not so sure his billionaire status um, is going to be his undoing. The other side of that, and what I would say if I were Trump, and he certainly has said this, and I think he will continue to say this, is, his wealth makes him incorruptible. Uh, the Clintons took their income from about $400,000 a year, and this is in the public realm, to $29 million a year, uh, which is a pretty big raise uh, by, in my view, peddling government influence. Trump made a lot of money, billions of dollars, in the private sector. Um, so he's going to go ahead and say, in response to those claims by Hillary that she'll undoubtedly make, hey, that means I don't need donors' money. You came to my, wet, my, my, my wedding, blah, 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 and you're corruptible. I'm not. So between the uh, incorruptibility argument and his, his kind of organic uh, chemistry with the blue-collar uh, of America – um, I'm not so sure it's going to be a powerful attack. Barack, Barack Obama, the candidate, Stephen, won the presidency on his enthusiasm and hope for change. That was his platform when he ran. Trump, conversely, is running on make America great again, implying that there is some type of return to some pastime. Make America great again. Now, nearing the end of his two-term tenure, do you think Obama has been a fundamentally transformational president? Uh, no, I don't. Um, go, going along with uh, the remarks I made when I, I cited the Pierrison's work, I, I think uh, Obama has, has doubled down 
on uh, you know the, the, the what I call the Keynesian uh, state, uh, uh, government managed economies, uh, um, uh, subsidies that don't work, um, and, and, and he hasn't been transformational at all. He 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 has certainly radicalized um, an existing uh, political order or movement. Uh, but I don't think he's. But there's a difference between taking something to another level and a fundamental change. So I don't think he's been transformative. Um, ironically, although Trump's slogan uh, uses the word again, as as you uh, as you point out, Jason, given that uh, we've uh, we've really been in this political order since FDR's New Deal, which is going on whatever that is, uh, 85 years or so. Um, I, I think uh, Trump's platform is actually more transformational than um, than uh, than Barack Obama's. Uh, if if he does get elected and he does build a wall and he does um, uh, close our borders except to immigrants who come in legally, and he does shrink government and he does, for example, uh, end the Department of Education mm-hmm. as he's said he would do and um, make very fundamental tax tax reforms, he, he may end up being uh, more transformational and essentially leaving the Keynesian state uh, than Barack Obama has been. All right, so uh, Stephen, we'll hold it for a second. Wait. We have to take a break. We are coming back. This is Good Morning New York. Uh, we'll be back with Stephen and Jason. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I'm talking to Stephen and Jason Meister about the upcoming uh, 2016 uh presidential election and potentially how we here in the New York marketplace may suffer or not uh, in the real estate industry. Stephen, you know, I recently read your uh, Washington Examiner article uh, and you say, quote, despite Donald Trump's meteoric rise to the top of the Republican 
presidential polls, the GOP establishment continues to bash its leading candidate. Apparently, party side, as you say, is contagious, and the GOP establishment uh, favorite Jeb Bush is hemorrhaging voters and is at the bottom of the list of candidates. Uh, quite to a lot of people's uh, surprise. Can you explain your thoughts here? As the front runner for the GOP, are you concerned with Trump's uh, lack of political correctness? Um, well, yes. Let me let me see if I can uh, unpack some of that. Um, it, it, when I went to write pieces about Trump, it was interesting. It was not an easy task to get them published because what I found was that uh, uh, you know, my my normally conservative writings uh, obviously don't frequently find a home in liberal papers like the New York Times, um, uh, but but might find a home in a conservative paper, but uh, or media outlet. But here, I found that everyone was against Trump. And indeed, I think uh, some of the and I think it's it's softened a bit, but particularly at the outset of his announcement. I would say that the Republican establishment was more anti-Trump than the Democratic establishment. And uh, and I call this a party side because at the same time, the Democrats were favoring uh, and still are favoring Hillary Clinton, despite the, the you know, the email scandal and Benghazi, et cetera. Now, um, w- with respect to the Republican establishment, um, you, you know, w- w- uh, a politician is a politician, and uh, if you get a career politician, let's face it, uh, his or her career is made better by bigger government. Um, Republicans uh, have been in control of the House for whatever it is now, five or six years. Uh, they've, they've done nothing to rein in spending. And, you know, when these, when these Republicans uh, lose office— uh, they go into the private sector. Uh, I can name names, but I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, and they get they get uh, high paying jobs because uh, people in the private sector know they can access. I'm not suggesting anything illegal, but they can access the right doors and the right people in government. And government is spending trillions of dollars. So there's just no incentive on either side of the aisle uh, to really reduced government, which is what we need. And I think that uh, is in large part um, um, why uh, the Republican establishment has been against Donald Trump. They they put it on other things. They say that, you know, he wasn't always a conservative. I'm not sure why that exactly matters, by the way. Uh, but but um, uh, that that's what I meant. And 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 some of these uh Pundits were really uh, uh, venomously attacking Trump. So, so that's I, what that piece was about. Uh, uh, another question on on this particular article. So Jeb Bush's problem as the the establishment's front runner or choice to be front runner is directly related to what you just said. Uh, the American people basically are kind of not wanting big government. They're wanting somebody who can come in here and make changes and bring it down to their level. Is is that why he's he's suffering as as strongly as he is? It sounds like they're just I, fed I up. That, I think that's certainly a big part of it. Um, they see him as part of the establishment. They're really sick of Washington. Uh, they're sick of Congress. I think they're sick of Barack Obama, and they want real change and they want less government. 
and they want less spending, and they don't see Jeb Bush as 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 the way to that end. Now, on top of that, I think he was a kind of low energy candidate. Um, I don't think he has uh, a lot of charisma, uh, and um, and 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 that's played a role. But I think at this point, uh, I, I don't see him as a viable candidate. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, the, the, the two leading candidates, of course, Carson and Trump are both, uh, have no political careers behind them. So it would seem that's what Americans want, at least on the GOP side. You said though, that in the article, the pundits on both sides of the aisle are panicking, uh, over Trump. Why is that on both sides of the aisle? Well, the, uh, the Democrats are, are panicking for the obvious reason that he's, uh, his views are completely antithetical to sort of the, 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 the traditional, or not traditional, but the new uh, uh, liberal uh, kind of multi, multiculturalist view. He's very anti-PC. He's strong on immigration. Um, now, interestingly, you know, he, he has come down on, for example, weak weak taxes or small taxes on hedge funds. He has taken some positions. He has in the past uh, been in favor of a single-payer health care system. But uh, nevertheless, um, his his positions from an ideological standpoint, particularly on immigration and on the size of government, are just an, ana- an anathema to, uh, to progressives. The 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 the, the, the uh, Republican establishment or the conservative establishment, I think, is just um, uh, is just fearful of uh, uh, of the fact that he has uh, in the past um, espoused uh, some liberal views, as I said, on uh, uh, on health care, uh, and uh, I think, although they don't say it. I think establishment Republicans really don't want to downsize government. I think that's what's driving the Republican, uh, the real, the real reason for the Republican outrage. You say, Stephen, in your uh, in your in your article in your column in the Washington Examiner, the same one we've been talking about, that in a matchup against Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, or Joe Biden, who we all know is not running as of now, that the GOP is better off with Trump. And I quote your, your, your words, Trump's business experience, success, and star power can overpower an aging socialist, a corrupt dynastic politician, or the vice president of the most pathetic administration in modern history. So my question is, how is, how is it that you believe that Donald Trump can beat the Hillary Clinton machine? Uh, we, we all, I mean, we all can probably say that, that Bernie Sanders is not going to get the nomination. Joe Biden's not running. So it all comes down to Hillary. I mean, a lot of people even think Bernie Sanders is a setup, uh, by the Hillary campaign. Um, he's extreme to the left. Um, he said climate change is a more serious threat than terrorism and that it in fact causes the terrorism. So maybe he's a setup for Hillary. How is Donald Trump going to do this? How is he going to win against this money peddling machine? Uh, well, look, it's it's this, this. I'm not saying that Hillary Clinton is going to be easy to beat, but I will tell you this: I think that Hillary Clinton will make short work of Carson. 
Um, I, I, I think I just think in order to beat Hillary, you're really going to need to attack her. And Trump has got the cojones to do that, to put it in blunt terms. Trump, we know, when pushed in a corner, will attack. And there's a lot to attack on Hillary. There's Benghazi. There's her history of peddling government influence with the half-million-dollar fees earned by her husband, uh, the ex-president, on, uh, uh, you know, as she was sitting Secretary of State. And, uh, and, 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 and of course, uh, there's the whole email scandal, which to me is an absolute outrage to think that the Secretary of State would be running uh, this critical uh, classified information in an unprotected server where uh, soldiers' lives and diplomats' lives would be put at risk uh, by simple hacking. So there's a lot to attack out there, and attack is what is going to be needed to beat her. And I but, just but, think that Trump don't you... has, has the ability to do that and the star power to do that, and I don't see it in Carson. Um, I'm not saying anything you – know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the guy fundamentally. I just think his style is um, much more reserved and that we, we can't beat her, uh, we the Republicans, without a strong attacker um, in the slot. But it's a year away from the election. Uh, a lot of people are saying that when the dust settles, Marco Rubio uh, could pull up in the ranks and, 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 and pull out. I mean, he's pretty articulate. He's got, you know, he is a politician, but uh, he's young. He's, he's energetic. And he, he has a very good sense of the issues. You think, he, do you, what, do you, what do you make of him? He, he's very charismatic, uh, well-spoken, intelligent. I, I think he's a a good candidate. Um, um, I think uh, Trump would do better against Hillary. Uh, he'll, then you're going to have, if, if Rubio were the GOP nominee, you would have two politicians, right? You have one politician on the GOP side and one politician on the Democratic side, and Hillary's going to be able to tout her much greater experience uh, or her longer experience. And... Uh, and it's going to be difficult uh, uh, to uh, – I think it's going to be a, an uphill battle for Rubio. Now, to his credit, uh, I, I think he's uh, a, a, a courageous guy, and he can, he can go on the attack, uh, I think, more than Carson can. So um, I think he's got that going for him. Uh, but um, I think that um, his, his uh, youth and – lower experience levels comparing two politicians side by side are going to make it a challenge for him. Um, so uh, he'd be a great vice president, I think. Uh, so um, we'll have to see how this all unfolds. Stephen, just to wrap up this thought before we go to break, you know, the pundits are saying this past weekend and actually the past couple of weekends that the two top GOP candidates, one a neurosurgeon, one a real estate developer, you know, and Jason just talks about the Hillary machine and and you agreed she may be a little difficult to beat. How then can we expect either of these two candidates on the GOP side to be presidential with no political experience at all and to go up against someone who, as you uh, acknowledge, has, you know, a history of politics behind her? That seems a little difficult. 
Well, you know, uh, that's a great question, and I would um, I would answer that with another question, which is, at this juncture, given where we are in the economy, given where we are on foreign, foreign policy, given ISIS, given Iran, um, what do Americans want? Do they want someone who they can say is presidential, who they can say looks diplomatic, who has, uh, you know, the appearance uh, of being presidential, or do they want someone who is going to be tough on these issues, uh, great on national security, uh, reducing the size of government? I question whether, yes, that's, there's no question that the Democrats, if Trump is the nominee, or if Carson, uh, they're going to say, is he really presidential? But what does that really mean? Okay. Um, um, I, I think we have to, we're at a stage where we have to drill down to the merits and look to what we want this president to accomplish and not we want, we want him or her to look like. All right, we have to take a break. We are coming back. This is Good Morning New York, broadcasting live from New York City with Stephen and Jason Meister. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back in segment four, our last segment for the morning. And I'm talking to Stephen and Jason Meister. Stephen, in the last Democratic presidential debate, uh, Bernie Sanders said climate change is a bigger threat to the world than terrorism. When pressed on the claim, Sanders doubled down, stating that, in fact, climate change is directly related to the growth of terrorism across the globe, pointing to limited amounts of water and, and other resources. What do you make of this claim? Okay, well, uh, what do I make of that claim? Uh, I can't help but be reminded of a comment, a joke, that Jackie Mason, uh, the famous uh, Jewish comedian, uh, said recently uh, about about uh, Bernie Sanders. He said that uh, 
when Jews from Brooklyn uh, reach 70, they, uh, they normally go down south and retire in Florida. Uh, but uh, Sanders went up north to Vermont, and that made him crazy. Um, so uh, I know that's a joke, but I don't know what else to say about these remarks. They're inane. Uh, they're frankly idiotic. Uh, there is no question that uh, the ISIS terrorists are not reacting to water and not reacting to climate change, but rather want to establish a pan-global uh, uh, Islamic caliphate uh, and, uh, right. <laughs> and conquer the infidels. So right. I don't see the connection to, uh, to global warming. And I think that was a completely nutty remark and disqualifies him as president. Well, you could, I totally agree with you. I think that from an ideological standpoint, like you've said, President Barack Obama is an an ideological person. I think Bernie Sanders is is actually making the point, which is incredibly uh, uh, dangerous, that he's basically trying to tie it back to us, saying that we are causing terrorism to grow by 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 polluting the earth, right? I mean, that's what he's basically saying. It, it, he is saying that, but it's which doesn't not, make any uh, sense. It's insanity. It, it's really insanity. Uh, w- 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 there's a whole scientific issue about whether uh, there is any any uh, man man caused global climate change. But even if there is, there's no question that our issues with ISIS are completely, completely unconnected to that. So uh, the guy's nuts. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. He's just nuts. So many Americans believe the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan helped facilitate the rise of ISIS. Bernie Sanders recently pinned the rise of ISIS on the disastrous invasion of Iraq and and he also did, uh, he pinned it on um, climate change. And former Prime Minister Tony Blair has said that the U.S.-led invasion of Iraq was partly responsible for the emergence of ISIS in the Middle East. What do you make of these claims? Look, I do think there is a kernel of truth here. When we go in and we upset a political order in the Mideast, which is a, uh, a destabilized area of the world to begin with, um, you, you create power vacuums, and uh, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, uh, um, so, so, so I think there is some truth to that. But what I would say is that it wasn't the invasion of Iraq that led to the resurgence of Isaac, but rather our withdrawal from Iraq. In other words, it, because ISIS didn't immediately pop up after we toppled Saddam Hussein. He right. popped up after... Obama withdrew and right. forfeited our victory in Iraq. Right, and nine so eleven, and nine eleven, and nine eleven happened before the, the Iraqi and Afghanistan wars, and also the jihad has been going on for over two hundred years. Right. So, so uh, I, 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 I do think, as I said, I think there's a kernel of truth in the sense that if you go in and you take out an Assad or a, a, a Saddam Hussein, you create a power vacuum, which is why, unfortunately, when you do that, you have to commit to a, 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 uh, an occupation. Um, right. But, um, um, but, but, but I, I, I think they've got it a little backwards. I think it was the, 
the withdrawal that Obama uh, implemented and not the invasion that uh, gave rise to ISIS. And and I'll, or not gave rise to ISIS, but that kind of emboldened ISIS. But I'll tell you something else, uh, and I've not seen anyone say this, but I believe this. If you go back to last summer, when the Hamas-Israeli war was front-page news, okay, and uh, the world, the entire liberal, uh, the, the New York Times for sure, and liberal media outlets around the globe took sides with Hamas and against Israel. And every day you read another story that was pro-Hamas and anti-Israel, all right? I think, I think that emboldened ISIS because, in a sense, ISIS and Hamas are competitors. Right. I want to get. We want to get. We want to get one one last question in before we end the show, um, and we're going to get back to housing and and the real estate market and the econ- the broader economy. It's been eight years since the housing bust, which led to the Great Recession. Many Democrats have claimed that the cause of the global financial crisis were greedy fat cat Wall Street bankers and the lack of regulation of those fat cat bankers and the banking industry at large. What and who do you think is responsible for the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression? What caused the housing crisis and the financial crisis? Okay, I think Wall Street definitely had a role, but I think the key player was the United States government. If you go back to the mid-90s with Clinton and Janet Reno. As the attorney general, there was a a two-pronged carrot and stick approach toward the banks. Uh, There were redlining claims that they weren't making loans in minority neighborhoods. They were punished. They weren't allowed to merge and acquire if they were redliners. And uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which were controlled by the government, went heavy into the secondary market with quotas to buy to buy subprime loans. So I think that. The government put the whole uh, the whole thing into uh, into a, a state of uh, uh, you know into an asset bubble. I think what Wall Street did is Wall Street was kind of like typhoid Mary, and through the securitization process, was able to spread the contagion subprime mortgages around the globe very efficiently. But I think the initial infection was a government intervention. We don't belong in the housing market. Renting is just fine. Government's role should be limited to making sure that housing is safe. And whether it's rental or ownership is something the private sector should determine without government stimulus and intervention. Well, um, that was a very fascinating conversation. We unfortunately are out of time. I want to say thank you to Jason. Thank you, Stephen, for joining us this morning remotely. That is Good Morning New York for this week. Uh, We will be back next week. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.